0: This is the Koinos Community Church Podcast. Subscribe so that you can join us regularly as we look to find ways to close the gap between who we are and who God longs for us to be. Not long after enrolling, I learned that Mennonite history and Anabaptist values are key parts of the Christian curriculum at Christopher Dock Mennonite High School. In class, we centered a position of peace. We debated if war was ever justified, whether we agreed with the concept of a just war. We discussed conscientious objection in the face of war and non-resistance in daily life. Chapel speakers spoke about what it meant for followers of Jesus to pursue peace and to love peace. Years later, when I interviewed for a position, uh, a teaching position at the same school, I was asked to explain my position on the war in Iraq as part of my interview process. As Andrew shared last week, Koinas Community Church is part of the Brethren in Christ domination, which traces its roots in part to the Anabaptists. The BIC is influenced by other church movements, as Andrew talked about last week, Um, but the Anabaptists in particular have influenced our belief in pursuing peace, along with the values of the community of faith, serving compassionately, and living simply. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Emily Hershey, and I've been coming to Koina since 2008 with my husband, Dave. Um, We have two children in fifth and second grades. I'm a teacher in the Wilson School District, And I've been teaching um, since about 2005, or since 2005. (laughs) Today, I've been asked to speak about the Brethren in Christ core value, pursuing peace. Spending three years as a high school student and three more years as a teacher in the same Mennonite high school was very formative in my spiritual development and Christian journey as a young person. As such, pursuing peace is a value that's near and dear to my heart and something I feel passionate about. The Brethren in Christ's core value states, we value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict. Like my teachers did at uh, Christopher Dock, I could ask you to consider and take a a position. Uh, Don't forget to use your textual evidence. Uh, Related to the first part of this statement, we value all human life. If we value all human life, Is it ever right to go to war? As citizens of our country and our world, should we support war that leads to peace? Or should we actively refuse to participate in any military service? Should abortion be illegal? Do we have the right to defend ourselves or even our loved ones using violence? Can we condone the death penalty in the pursuit of justice? In today's society, these are obviously all complex questions without simple answers, and I'm not going to answer any of them for you today. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately. But I will say this Jesus abhorred violence, and as a church, we are committed to pursuing peace. We believe that pursuing peace and avoiding violence is not weakness, and neither is it optional. Rather, we believe that it is up to us as followers of Christ to promote peace in the world and actively pursue it in our personal lives. While Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane preparing for his death, one of his disciples, Peter, violently attacked the Roman official who came forward to arrest him after Judas gave him the fateful kiss. Matthew 26 says, "...with that one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus' statement condemning violence and reminding us that God is in control, is only one among many in the Gospels. Matthew 5 says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus does not pursue immediate justice or retribution for the person who's being wronged, but rather he requires the person being wronged to actively respond with peace, effectively ending that wrong. Without a violent response, the the wrong is not given weight or allowed to continue. Instead, the wrong is actually replaced by right. Some will say that in a broken world, sometimes violence is necessary but Jesus holds us to a higher standard. In a position statement on violence, the Brethren of Christ Church states, even for noble clauses like Peter protecting Jesus on the night of his arrest, our Lord rejects violence. Jesus' nonviolent love is not passivity, but strength that conquers evil. Jesus' goal is to overcome evil with love. To kill one's enemy is to take away any possibility of repentance and conversion. The ultimate testimony of Jesus' love was to treat an aggressor as a human being capable of a moral and spiritual transformation. The Bible calls us to act toward our enemies as Jesus did towards his. We were once Jesus' enemies, but now are recipients of his transforming love. Jesus' teachings on peace are so powerful that Peter himself internalizes the nature of peace. 1 Peter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing." For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed." Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. So we know that it is wrong for humans to take human life, but most of us won't have to grapple with the decision to take another's life in our day-to-day experiences. So then what does it look like to pursue peace in the day-to-day? For the rest of my time with you today, I'm going to touch on the second part of the BIC core value, which is promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict and how we might take it to heart in our own lives using the scripture from First Peter to guide us. The scripture will go off in, in a couple minutes, so if you want to look it up on your phone and have it as a reference, um, feel free to do that. So it's First Peter 3, starting at verse 8. The instinct for us to respond to violence with violence to react to a wrong against us with harm in turn, to see the other experience, a little bit of that hurt that we felt, to ensure that everything is even. I think it lies deep within us. Uh, I see this with my kids constantly. Uh, in the weeks leading up to this teaching, I kept joking with them that I'm going to tell, tell this story when I'm up front. I'm going to tell that story. I'm going to tell them what you're doing right now. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I really don't have like, I wish I had like one like specific detailed story that would illustrate this eye for eye mentality. Um, But unfortunately, this happens pretty much every five minutes in my house. So it's kind of just like a loop and it goes something like this. Eli says, Junia hit me. I say, Junia, don't hit your brother. Junia says, Eli hit me first. I say, it doesn't matter. Two wrongs don't make a right. Junia says, why am I always in trouble? And then, you know, insert some speech on my end or platitude about taking responsibility for your own actions. And then it just, you know goes over and over. So I'm sure you can imagine um, the tone of this exchange. Uh, it sounds a lot more peaceful as I'm retailing it to you now than it actually does in real life. Um, of course, there's a lot more of me probably losing my patience and possibly yelling. I'm reminded in telling you this story that pursuing peace does not just mean avoiding physical violence. Um, We can be violent with our words, with our tone, right? As Peter says, do not repay insult with insult. I myself am convicted that just as my kids' actions and words between each other are not always peaceful, my own words with my kids are not beyond reproach. Now, peace is not the same as the absence of conflict. My goal is not for my children to never fight, rather I'd like to teach them how to confront conflict, but in a peaceful way. Instead of reacting rashly to a a smack from a sibling or an insult, they can walk away. Instead of yelling, I can try to use a calm voice, um, a calm tone to remind them of the correct course of action. And when we're ready, we can talk about it, we can process it. I can also model actively pursuing peace when conflicts arise between uh, my spouse and me or between one of the kids and me. What a better place to practice nonviolent resolution of conflict than in the home. I think one of the reasons my children engage in this exchange, this back and forth so often, is because they feel comfortable, they feel safe. But instead of allowing them to practice repaying insult with insult. Um, or even engaging in it myself because it feels right in the moment. Got to teach them a lesson, right? Um, what if I made it a habit and help them make it a habit to repay insult with blessing? What if we all made an intentional effort in our own lives to actively pursue peace instead of retaliation? As a teacher, I also see this vengeful attitude um, play out time and time again between students, in class and outside of class. I've had students tell me that they're expected to fight back in any way possible if they're wronged. One of my favorite writers for young people, Jason Reynolds, has written this amazing book called Long Way Down. Um, This is the original. Uh, original book, it's a novel in verse, but what you see on the screen is the graphic novel adaptation, and the illustrations are breathtaking. I introduced this book to my students, not just because of the literary value and engaging nature of the story, but also because of the potential for it to change hearts and minds. The story is told from the perspective of a boy named Will, who has recently lost his brother, Sean, to gun violence. Where he lives, there are three unspoken rules, the code of the street. One, don't cry. Two, no snitching. Three, get revenge. One night, Will grabs a gun that Sean has left behind, leaves his apartment building, and gets into the elevator to travel down seven floors to leave the building and avenge his brother's death. But on his way down, he's met by six ghosts from his past who each have died by gun violence, and and each time, Will is confronted by a new perspective that impacts his view of the rules. As he's about to leave the elevator, he's confronted with his final choice. Should he continue on his mission to kill his brother's killer, or should he be the one to end the cycle of violence? Most of us could probably read this novel in in a few hours, but every time I read it, I learn something new. By encouraging students to engage with the story, relate to the characters, empathize with their plights, I hope to get my students talking about the effects of the cycle of violence and the impact that revenge has on individuals, families, and communities. Most of my students will not be faced with the tough choice that Will has to make in the story, but most of them will be faced with that choice to fight back and repay evil with evil or repay evil with blessing. Imagine what our schools would be like if students responded every time a classmate wronged them, if they responded with kindness, what might be the ripple effect? In her book, Wholehearted Faith, edited edited and published posthumously after her untimely death, Rachel Hald Evans talks about what it looks like to love our enemies, Again, this desire to see evil repaid with evil, to see those who have committed crimes get their just desserts, to see judgment play out in our lifetimes, this desire is so powerful, but it's not of Jesus. If you followed Rachel Hall Evans while she was alive, you know that she was active on social media, speaking into popular culture and politics through a faith-based lens. When Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011, people on both sides of the political divide rejoiced. In speaking of the world's reaction, Rachel Hald Evans wrote in her book, fortunately, I had the rare restraint that day not to tweet immediately. When I finally did, here's what I wrote. Trying to keep in mind that how I respond to the death of my enemies says as much about me as it does about my enemies. Held Evans goes on to list a number of enemies that we might have in our own lives, from childhood bullies to adversaries at work, to relatives, or even to our own selves. She continues, and starting with that acknowledgement that I can be my own worst enemy, perhaps I can begin to imagine how loving my enemies might look. Can we not only hear the enemy's story, but also begin to write a different one, one that points to God's shalom. Yes, God loves what is right. God loves justice. And yes, I believe that God invites us to be part of seeking justice for those who have been wronged. But when we think of wrongs that, we have, that have been done against us or that we ourselves have done um, towards others, God calls us to actively pursue peace. As Peter says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. As Christians, we are called to actively pursue peace, even if we know it might cause our own suffering, hurt our pride, or just not turn out the way that we think it should or we think is even or fair. Recently, Desmond Tutu passed away at the age of 90. Archbishop Tutu was a religious leader who was named as chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission by Nelson Mandela and received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. In his book, No Future Without Forgiveness, he describes the efforts he was involved in to promote reconciliation after apartheid was ended in South Africa with the democratic election of Mandela. In explaining the choice of reconciliation over retribution, Tutu describes the African concept of Ubuntu. I'm gonna read kind of a long quote here. Um, The main part of it is up there, but I'm going to read uh, the whole thing because I think there's a lot of important pieces in here, so just bear with me as I read this. Ubuntu is very difficult to render into a Western language. It speaks of the very essence of being human. When we want to give high praise to someone, we say, you, u nobuntu hey, so-and-so has Ubuntu. Then you are generous, you are hospitable, you are friendly and caring and compassionate. You share what you have. It is to say my humanity is caught up, is inextricably bound up in yours. We belong in a bundle of life. We say a person is a person through other persons. It is not I think, therefore I am. It says rather, rather I am human because I belong, I participate, I share. A person with ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others. Does not feel threatened that others are able and good, for he or she has a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she belongs in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished. When others are tortured or oppressed or treated as if they were less than who they are. Harmony, friendliness, community are great goods. Social harmony is for us the and bonum, the greater good. Anything that subverts, that undermines this sought-after good is to be avoided like the plague. Anger, resentment, lust for revenge, even success through aggressive competitiveness are corrosive of this good. To forgive is not just to be altruistic. It is the best form of self-interest. What dehumanizes you inexorably dehumanizes me. It gives people resilience, enabling them to survive and emerge still human despite all efforts to dehumanize them. Peter says to repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Responding to evil with blessing to see others as fully human and treat them as such, this is blessing back to us. The acts of forgiveness and reconciliation result in a life and world that is blessed. They have a ripple effect that impacts all of us. So I wanted to conclude with one aspect of peace that's not explicitly talked about in the core value statement, and that is the sense of peace that we feel internally. When I asked friends and acquaintances on Facebook to finish the statement, peace is, these are some of the responses I received. I'll give you a moment to look at those. So the Brethren in Christ articles in faith and doctrine do touch on this aspect of peace. Article 3 says we cannot find peace apart from a right relationship with God. Article 4 says persons thus justified by faith, grace through faith, enjoy peace with God, are adopted into God's family, become part of the church, and receive the assurance of eternal life. The Holy Spirit produces virtuous character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These virtues characterize the believer's walk in the Spirit. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible is from Romans 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. This kind of internal peace comes from our relationship with Jesus and our belief that God is making all things right. In turn, this peace reminds us that God is in control and not to be afraid. As Peter says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Because of this peace that only God gives, we do not need to be afraid and lash out in violence. We do not need to seek revenge or attempt to take the law or justice into our own hands. Our role is to pursue peace in our world and in our lives and know that it is well with our souls. I'm going to leave you with a few lines from my one of my favorite hymns. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, thank you for sharing your word with us today. Jesus, may we actively pursue peace in our lives, forgiving those who harm us, repaying evil with blessing. Help us to strive for what is right and not be afraid, for you are with us. May we be a blessing to others and model the way of peace that Jesus modeled for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Koinos Podcast. If you like what you hear, like, subscribe, and share it. You can connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Koinos CC and on YouTube at Coinos Community Church. Until next time, be well, do good, and love others.